part two of the series called Gifted. Remember this gifted thing? You start to see a, a theme developing here. We're taking a look at the gifts of the Magi, sometimes called wise men. Uh, remember uh, last week we kicked it off and we said the wise men, the Magi, they brought three gifts. Say them with me if you know them. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Both of you remember that from last week. That's terrific. Uh, we started off and we said gold. This is a perfect gift, all right? Because the gift is fit for a king. And to help you remember, remember we passed out those gold bars after church, right? Should have been at church. Should have come. No, I just, we, didn't, we didn't do that, okay? Um, however, we did remember Remember, remind everybody, gold is a gift fit for a king. And Jesus Christ is that king. And we have this choice. We have that option, remember, that we can either live for ourselves or we can live for him. We can build our kingdom or we can build his. We can, we can live for just ourselves or we can be a part of something so much bigger, infinitely bigger than just us. Today, today we look at this, uh, this gift called frankincense. And if you didn't grow up in the church, if you didn't hear, you're like, Franken, what? We're going to do like a whole message about this thing? Frankincense. If it helps, you can just drop Frank right out of it. And then you can just, sorry, if anybody's named Frank, um, you just drop him. And then, and then you just have what's left is incense, right? Because that's kind of what we're talking about. And even though we don't really do a lot with incense, even though we don't often do a whole lot really with frankincense ever at all, not even knowing what that is, the people then did. It was hugely significant to them. And I think the wise men, even though they had no idea, no clue, how could they know what the significance of their gift was? I think when they presented this gift, frankincense to Jesus, they were making a declaration, unknown to them, declaration about who Jesus was and who Jesus Jesus was for. To understand that, we go way back thousands of years before Jesus was ever born. We go back to the book of Exodus. We go to Leviticus. We go to Numbers. We go to these different passages in the Bible where frankincense is mentioned, where, where this incense is, is, is lit up. And to kind of just illustrate for those of you who didn't maybe grow up in the 60s and aren't totally cons uh, knowing what frankincense, what incense is all about, I've got some uh, I've got some here, and we're going to kind of light that up. And because I want you to see like, the visual effect that it has. Let it burn for a second. <sighs> okay. As you see the frankincense, or the, the, the incense here, start to burn. You see the smoke start to fill up. And those of you in the, kind of in the front row, you start to like soak up that smell of the incense too, because it's potent. It's powerful. It's a little stick and it's going to burn like that for a while. And it's just going to like fill the room and it's going to get in your clothes and it's going to get in your hair and it's going to get in there. And you're not going to be able to get out of it anymore. So what I'm going to do, because it's so potent, is just go ahead and remove the distraction. But I want you to understand, because that's exactly what made it so important to the people in the Old Testament is that what they would do for their temple sacrifice on these holy days, these special days, maybe the Day of Atonement, the day that they celebrated that, Jesus, uh, that, uh, that God was forgiving their sins, um, on these, these special holy days, they, they would go into a special people called priests, maybe the high priest would go into a special place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. It's this little backroom door kind of thing where, where the priest, the high priest would go in once a year and he'd, he'd light up this incense or specifically the, the frankincense. And, and, and as that smoke would start to fill that small room, it was reminiscent. It was a sign that, that God's presence was filling up that physical space. And even though the the smoke would fill the room, the, the smell would go far beyond it. 
Because as this would continue to burn, that smell would go way outside of the room into the rest of the temple, into the courtyards. In fact, that smell would start to fill the whole temple area and even several city blocks in the city of Jerusalem so that, so that everybody would know. Everybody would be reminded every time that it happened is, is that there, right there, on this special time of year, in this special place, amongst the special people, God is present. The problem is, we're not all that special. The, the problem is, is that we're not living day to day during a special time in a special place and we're not all that special people. The problem is that, is that we're kind of like ordinary, somewhat complicated, kind of real, if we're honest, messy people living messy lives. We live messy lives where we're bumping into each other all the time. And not just outside of the church, not just at work where we, we say something or we're short with a coworker or a boss or somebody that works for us. And then we might ask for forgiveness or, or, or more likely not. And we cause some minor amount of pain for other people and we create this small mess over here and then we walk away from it. And then we go home and we treat our kids or our friends or our housemates or roommates, whatever it is, with this somewhat disrespect. We create a small mess over there, a small complication in that relationship and we move on from there. The problem is that, that we live these messy lives or we don't really have it all together. We're not living in a special time in a special place and we're not really all that, that, that special people. And so we were, we're complicated and we're messy. And the temptation is, the idea is that, that God's presence is not gonna really invade a messy life like ours because God's presence is reserved for the special people during the special time of year to go into the special place until that is, until some magi from the east show up, until these wise men show up and they presented this gift of frankincense to Jesus, more like his parents because he's just a toddler and say, here, I've got no way of knowing it, but this gift is communicating the presence of God, something that I can't even imagine right now, the significance is that God is somehow with us in the mess. And boy, is it just about to get messy. If, if you've got a Bible with you or if you want to use ours, they're under the chairs in front of you. We love giving Bibles away. So if you like those, go ahead and take it, take it home with you. The words are going to be on the screen behind me. We're going to go to Matthew chapter one and like buckle your seatbelt because this this is a messy story. All right, we, we started off in verse 18, Matthew chapter one. And it says that this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Okay, this is the origin story for the superhero kind of fans, right? That, that his mother, now Matthew's telling us, his mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. It was more than an engagement. It was like betrothal. I mean, they, they were married, um, a kind of. They're almost there. Uh, maybe they just had the ceremony and get the families together to make it official. But I mean, like, like they were basically there. But before they <clears throat> came together, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, she was found to be pregnant. Now this, like I said, this is a messy story. 
Because here we have, you know, she finds out, and pretty soon he finds out she's pregnant. I mean, they're like almost basically married already. And Joseph is thinking, the dad in this thing is like, what in the world? Like, we weren't even together, so you were with another guy. I can't even believe how complicated. I can't even believe how messy this thing is. And just when we think that it can't get any messier, we see the next line, pregnant, through the Holy Spirit. And we're like, that's a new one. I haven't... <laughs> been there before. Like I said, it's a complicated, messy story. Um, because Joseph, in verse 19 now, now because Joseph, her husband, he was faithful to the law. He's a good guy. He was a rule-following guy. He, want, he was a guy who wanted to do the right thing. He liked things neat and tidy. And because of that, and because he was also a good guy, probably the oldest, you know, the old, oldest kid in the family, guessing, but because he wanted to do the right thing all the time, he does this on the next line, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And so he had in mind to divorce her, but quietly, divorce her quietly. I mean, that's kind of the honorable thing to do if you're Joseph, right? He knows I should not marry this girl. But he also knows what's going to happen to her if he doesn't marry this girl. And so kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, he decides, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean up the mess as best as I can. Even if that means taking some of the shame, even if that takes, means me taking some of the embarrassment, I'm going to do that. I'm, going to not, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. I'm not going to make a scene about this. I'm going to divorce her, but do it quietly. I'm going to clean, clean up my mess, tidy up my mess, because I'm the kind of guy, Joseph, who appreciates this nice, tidy, prepackaged kind of life. I'm going to make a point here because I think, I think there's a couple of Josephs in the room, right? I, now, the, one of the points that, that I want to make about this is that imagine if Joseph got his way. Imagine if, if, if he got, in fact, to the chance to, to divorce Mary quietly and they could kind of go their separate ways. He goes this way. She goes this way. Now, she's pregnant with Jesus. She has the baby. Jesus grows up. Rabbi, you know, king of the world, dies on the cross for the sins of the world, like all this, right? And then that's, just, like, that's an incredible story to be told. And imagine the possibility if Joseph actually got what he wanted, he would never have met Jesus. Like imagine if Joseph got what Joseph was hoping to get, if he got his way, he would never have the opportunity to hold that little baby in his hands, to hold God in his hands and to stare into the face of God in human form. He never would have gotten to experience that because because Joseph, for Joseph, this whole thing was all too messy. It was all too complicated. And he preferred this neat, tidy little box where everything had its place. It was all pre-packaged. The reason why I mention that is because I think there's probably a few people here, don't raise your hands, this could be embarrassing for you, but just like maybe in your own mind, just consider the possibility that, that maybe, just maybe, my mess is keeping me from meeting God. Like so often, how often do we have it where it's like, I want to meet God. I want to experience God. But what I'm going to do is, is, is I'm going to take the Joseph option and I'm going to clean up my mess. I'm going to get everything all neat and all tight and all prepackaged. And just, when, just when, life, when I have life all figured out, then I'll be in a good place to meet God. 
Hey, and meanwhile, we're so concerned with getting everything in its place and everything tidy that we, that we miss God throughout the whole thing because, because the mess never goes away because things never really have a way of getting uncomplicated. Right? We do this all the time, the way, we, uh, uh, the, the way we say work is crazy right now, right? The family life, the kids are young and they're in a season or, or, or maybe they're not, maybe they're older and they're teenagers and I'm just worried about them right now. And, and, and life is chaotic and it's out of control and I don't really know what I'm doing anywhere. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try to find balance in my life. I'm gonna be able to find my like Zen center. And then when I got that, then I'll be ready to go ahead and, and introduce myself or reintroduce myself to God. God. Once I get everything tidy and everything all set to go, then I'm ready to meet God. If I could get just even more a little bit real for the people not in the room right now, for the people watching online or maybe listening online, because there's people right now watching this or listening to this in your living room or in your bedroom, in your pajamas, get, and, you're, and you're not coming here. You're not being a part of this place, of this community, because, because this is messy, because this is people, and people are messy, and people are complicated. And I don't even know all of you. I know some of you though, but I do know that all of us are messy and complicated and we bump into each other and we hurt each other and we cause pain and we cause conflict with each other all the time and it's not neat and it's not tidy. And we keep on doing this again and again and again. And so long as we say, you know what? When I get life figured out, when I get everything under control, then I can go meet God. Then I can re-experience God. I've heard stories after stories uh, from you, from so many people about how it's like, I spent five years of my life, 10, 15 years of my life trying to get to some professional level, for example, or some relationship level or, or place one time. You know, so much of my life has been dedicated to this one thing. And then when I finally get there or when I'm finally rounding that corner of, of almost being there, I realize this isn't even for me. I, I don't even know what I've spent my life doing. And like everything is kind of like I'm crashing down. And going, I had no idea that life could be so complicated, that life could be so messy. And in that moment, it's like, well, now I need to like rebuild my life and then I can go meet God. That's the Joseph option and no show of hands. But I think we've got a few Josephs here today. I know that I'm one of them. And then this is what God does. Because God says, you know, you know what? I'm not going to wait. God, out of grace, I think, and out of compassion, says life is so messy. And friends, by the way, this is going to get worse before it gets better. So like hang in there. Verse 20, after, after he had considered this, Joseph, right, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. God shows up in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. Name him Jesus, Joseph, because that's who he is. Because, because what that name means is that he will save his people from their, help me out, from their sins, right? It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to say that that you got to name him Jesus because, because he's going to save his people from their sins. See, that's the messiness and that's the complication. That's the part where this is just about to get worse before we start to see it getting better. Be because people who have sins 
are the ones who sin. I know I'm doing some like expert level grammar right now, so you're just going to have to stick with me. People who sin, people who have sins, uh, you know, sin, and people who sin are sometimes, sometimes called sinners, right? Like me, I mean, it's okay to admit that, that we're, all, we're all sinners, right? And, and then people who are sinners necessarily lead these broken, kind of complicated, messy lives. Now, the good news that we'll get to in just a minute is that, is that God shows up to people like us. God shows up to people living messy, complicated lives like ours. But, but the bad news, the bad news is Jesus wasn't given. Jesus, his name doesn't mean like helper outer. Jesus doesn't mean like God helps those who help themselves. Not actually in the Bible, by the way. Jesus doesn't mean, didn't just come to give us some good advice now and then. No, no, Jesus came because we needed something more than advice. Jesus came then, then, because we needed more than a helping hand. Jesus came to rescue us because we are necessarily sinful, broken, messy people. Like, like we're the problem. If you imagine the messes in our life, right, that we find ourselves in a hole at times. And often what we do is, hey, I'm finding myself in a mess right now. I find myself in a hole. Things are kind of complicated relationally or work-wise or financially. It's Christmas time. And, you know, I don't know how we're going to pay for this thing. That's what January is for, possibly stretching into June or next December. I don't know how we're going to get out of this thing. But, but what we want to do is like reach for a shovel, a per, preferably a bigger shovel, and start digging our way deeper into the hole of our mess. Because what God wants to show Joseph in this moment, because, because remember, Jesus came, Jesus came to save us, to rescue us from our sins. It's almost like, like the angel is sent to go tell Joseph and to Dirk and to encounter church and everybody else to say, hey, you know what? The, the problem that you have isn't just that you have a mess. The problem is that you are a mess. And that I do not want to hear. <laughs> because what I want to hear is, is, yeah, you're pretty jammed up right now, Dirk. You maybe have done some things or, or maybe some other people have come to you and, and have done some things to you. And, and this mess kind of follows you. This sin kind of follows you. And I don't want to own up to that. And I don't want to say, you know what, in some level, maybe 2%, maybe 10, maybe 99, maybe 100, but I contributed to this thing. I don't want to own up to the fact that I not just have a mess, but that I actually am a mess, that I am the problem in my life. And I need to be rescued, not from other people's messes all the time, but my own. I don't just have a mess. I am a mess. That's the bad news of Christmas. We need a rescuer. But along with that, right? Don't mistake. Don't mistake the fact that God still sent an angel. Don't forget that God still sent his son. Don't forget that God still stepped into the world that he made to say, no, no, you're a mess, but we're gonna clean this thing up together. Jesus says, you are a mess, but you know what? I don't run away from messes. You run away from messes. I, Dirk runs away from messes. I see brokenness and I see hurt and I see pain and I wanna remove myself from that situation, but not God. God goes right to the center of it. God is found in the midst of a mess, not on the outside, not on the periphery, not watching in, but he chooses to go right into the center of it all. 
Jesus one time grows up, right? Jesus sees this, this beggar alongside the road and he's got his whole entourage behind him, right? He's got the disciples, he's got followers, people who do miracles. I guess this sort of thing tends to happen to them. And they're all walking along the road. They're traveling down this road. And he sees a beggar, like a panhandler alongside the road. And what does he do? What do you do? What do I do? I'm outside, I, I leave Costco with an SUV full of groceries and I see the guy like on the corner of 28th Street. You know who I'm talking about. Don't play all righteous, okay? He's with the guys and the light is always red and you're always front, first in line. It just lasts forever. You know, sees the beggar, sees the panhandle alongside the road and like look away, avoid contact because I don't need a mess. I don't need another complication. I don't need brokenness or hurt inviting into my life any more than what I already caused, but not Jesus, but not Jesus. Because Jesus sees hurt and Jesus sees pain and he doesn't turn away. He goes to the, he goes to the beggar, the panhandler, and he says, what can I do for you? Anybody ask ever a panhandler? What, what, just name it, whatever, me neither, I know. You don't do that because you don't know what the person is going to ask for. In this case, the person turns to Jesus and asks this question, what can you do for me? I'm blind for starters. Can you do something about that? And Jesus says, I can actually. And he heals them. Because Jesus is the kind of guy and God is the kind of God who doesn't run away from a mess. But he has found right smack dab in the middle of it. Jesus sees the this loathsome people, tax collectors, hated, vile people, Addicts, but the, sex, the successful kind of addicts that, that, that have a way of nursing their addiction and like keeping it going, they're well-funded addicts. And Jesus says, guys, tonight the party is at your house. What time should I show up? You're inviting your friends too, right? Because Jesus doesn't want to ra- run away from the mess. He's found right smack dab in the middle of it all. One time Jesus was going, he was going to visit a sick girl. She was an inch away from death. And he, was gonna, and he was gonna go do something about that before she died, before she became unclean. And Jesus was on his way and there was a crowd all around him. And the, and the crowd was, was starting to, to prevent Jesus from getting to where he was going in an expeditious manner before this girl lost her life. And he's, and he's pushing himself through the crowd of people, demanding things from him. And this, and this one woman, this woman who has been bleeding for over a decade now, this woman who is, who is a menstrual thing, she's unclean. I'm reading the book of Leviticus right now in my read the Bible in a year group. And like, I am sure struck by how often this sort of stuff comes up. And I know it's uncomfortable to think and talk about. Like, I'm totally, you're right, it is. But, but like, I'm reading this and there's so many laws and there's so many rules about how this woman, she is just so unclean and she should be in a tent somewhere and like off to the side and she shouldn't be like hidden from everybody. Forget about the dead girl who died, by the way, in the time that Jesus didn't get to her in time. This woman should be like put off to the side or something. And then no, Jesus is pushing himself through the crowd and this woman reaches up, she reaches up, she grabs a hold of them. And any reader is like, no, don't do it. No. Jesus turns around to her. And everything after reading this book of Leviticus, and you should try it sometime if you're brave, but like everything in these people is like, that must have made Jesus profoundly unclean. And Jesus introduces this new paradigm and he goes, no. No, see, that's the weird thing. That when the unclean touches me, 
A new category is introduced. She doesn't become clean. No, no, far from it. She becomes holy. That's what you can do with a mess, Jesus. That's what you can do with a complication. And Jesus goes on his way. The girl had indeed died. And then he raises her from the dead. And and the holiness infects her too. I mean, the bad news, friends, you don't just find yourself in a mess from time to time. Friends, I say this with as much love and, and charity as I can. You and I, we are a mess. But God runs right towards the middle of the mess. But the hardest part of it all, the, for those of you who experience pain or loss or suffering on any level, the, the hardest part, I think, is the in-between time, is the not knowing. The hardest part is the, is the waiting, hoping, expecting God to show up and he's, and he's not. And I want to say, like, what about the wait? And then God clarifies something. It kind of breaks out of the narrative of the story, and then this happened, and then this happens, to, to clarify. By the way, just to make sure that none of us miss it in the next verse, in verse 22. By the way, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, this is Isaiah now, Isaiah, uh, the prophet way back in the Old Testament, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel. They'll, they'll call him Emmanuel, the, the name that means, the names that means that, that God, that God is, is, is with us. All this took place so so that we wouldn't miss it, so that we'd be aware that that, that God, yeah, that God, the the God that had a way of of showing up in a special place at the special time with the special people. It's like God wasn't stuck there. God wasn't just like restricted to over there. It's like the smoke got out, the scent got out. And now the magic, like like putting these gifts before Jesus, it's, it's it's like this is the smoke. This is the smell, like in human form. Now God is with us. And we said, what about, what about the wait? What about the waiting? That prophecy, that the virgin will conceive and give birth. That prophecy was first spoken by Isaiah the prophet 735 years previous. The story was that in the Old Testament, the, the nation of Israel was split into northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was, was attacking, as bad as that is, as attacking its sister nation of the southern kingdom. And so Ahaz, king of the southern kingdom, takes all of the gold and all of the frankincense and everything of value out of the temple, out of God's house. And he goes and he hands it over to a third party, Assyria, and says, Assyria, I have all of this for you and more if you will just attack this northern kingdom to, to like get them off our backs. And they take the bribe and that's exactly what happens. Isaiah the prophet speaking on behalf of God catches wind of this and he is so upset. He is so furious at what Ahaz would do in using God's resources to pay somebody to attack their sister nation. He's so frustrated. He says, you know what? 
That's it. You just hit a new low. You just bottomed out. I didn't think it could get any worse than it already did, but you did again and again. And so, and so, and so you are going on a nation timeout. Like you're no longer gonna like have a place or be this people in this place. I'm gonna take you away. You're, you're done for now. But in the same breath, in the same chapter even that he, that he pronounces this judgment on Ahaz in the southern kingdom, he also says, well, he also says that line. And now this time we're not quoting Matthew, we're quoting Isaiah. And it says that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. This is the sign that they will call him Emmanuel because even though Ahaz, you did some horrible, horrible things, even though you paid a third party off to attack your brothers and your sisters, God is still with you. And from that moment on, in the special time, in the special place, with the special people, they would light up the incense, the frankincense specifically, and they'd be reminded that even though God was just there, he didn't forget about them. And for 735 years, they let the incense burn and they were reminded, God, I can't explain it all the time, but somehow God, he's here. He's with us. Until 735 years later, a virgin, young girl, is pregnant. She's not married. She gives birth to a baby. And he's called Jesus because he's saving us from the messes that we are. And everybody gathers around and giving him frankincense, lighting it up, they say, God is now with us. He's here. He's with us. And I don't want us to mistake the power that this has, to know that, that, that God is with us, especially this time of year, especially Christmas. We're gathered around the table and people are inevitably missing from that table. Our people are hurting at that table. You are in pain and suffering at that table to know God is with us. And so I continue that prophecy from Isaiah in chapter nine. And it says, this is, this is the one, this is the one that's been born. For us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And Isaiah continues, and the government is gonna be on his shoulders. He's gonna be a prince or he's gonna be a king or he's gonna be somebody important. And he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, God. And I think the air just goes out of the room. God is born here as a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only is God born, he's a wonderful counselor. Some of you know the difference. Maybe you read it in a book somewhere. Maybe you have firsthand experience. You know the difference between a bad counselor and a good counselor. Right, a bad counselor, maybe it's a professional, maybe it's a friend. But you know that a bad counselor, you can pour out your heart, you can pour out your pain, you can pour out your loss to that person. A bad counselor will acknowledge that it hurts, acknowledge that it stings, and simply not care. And that's called pity. But for those of you who had an experience with a good counselor, 
or at least a, at least a better counselor. You know that you can pour out your hurt and pour out your heart. And not only is your pain acknowledged, but you also know that that person cares about you and cares about what's happening. And that's better than pity. That's called, that's called sympathy. And you've received those cards. You know, you know that somebody else cares about what you're going through and that helps. That's, that's better. That's, that's good. But Jesus isn't just a good counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. And some of you know what that means as you have experienced hurt far beyond what you have ever thought possible. And you've had pain that you think is gonna be carried with you for the rest of your life. And you didn't imagine ever sharing what was going on in your life, going on in your heart or what has happened to you or how that relationship hurt and you sat in that counselor's office like I have. And you sat in that comfy chair, stared out the window and just poured out the hurt to a good counselor and his or her eyes welled up with tears and you were convinced of this. You were convinced that that person not only sees the pain that you're in, not only cares about the pain that you're in, but as their eyes now well with tears and as their hands now tremble, you know that they not only see it and care about it, but they feel it. They feel the sting of loss. They feel the infliction of, of a relationship gone bad. They feel that. And Jesus is called not just mighty God, but he's called wonderful counselors, friends, because he felt that. He went there. You know that one of the hardest things about about depression or hardest things about pain or the hardest things about loss is how it feels like you are separated out from the rest of humanity, that you are all by yourself in this place until you meet someone who has gone through the same thing and it's like your world changes as you realize you are not alone. And friends, this is true. Jesus, your wonderful counselor is the only one who has walked down that road that you've walked down who has been in that place that you maybe now currently are, that Jesus has been there. That Jesus is the only one, the only one who knows and truly knows what it means to be betrayed, what it means to, to suffer in isolation. Jesus knows what it means to, to go without or to, or to carry anxiety or fear about going without. Jesus knows what it means to face down death itself. And he says, I can go there with you because I have gone there before. And you say, Jesus, you don't know. You don't know because, because I sit down and I pray to God in heaven and I say, God, show up. I need a sign. I need something. I need you to show up in my life right now. And God isn't. And God isn't showing up and God isn't answering me at all anymore. And Jesus says, I know. I know because I went to my special place, the, the place in the garden where, where God shows up, where my father showed up to me countless times in the past. And I went there thinking if he did it once, he'll do it again. And I got down on my knees, Jesus says, and I prayed and prayed. I prayed until my sweat turned into blood. I prayed so hard for God to show up and once and for all take this cup of death away from me. And God turned away. 
and allowed his son to go to the cross. Jesus says, I am the only one amongst you. I am the only friend you have that knows what it's like to die. And then to come back. I know what it's like to pour out my heart and then die a death on the cross and then come back rising victoriously, rising triumphantly over death to defeat death once and for all. I know what it's like to achieve that, to, to celebrate that. I know what it's like to, to now to give that to anybody who might, who might put their hope and their faith in him. Jesus says, I know what that's like because I've been there before in these magi, right? These guys that have no idea. They show up and they burn that incense. They present those gifts. And as it's burning, the smoke wafts up in the air. And as incense does, it, it gets in their hair and it gets on the clothes and it, and it follows them. And the, the smell, the thick, the heavy smell of it all. It follows you. It reminds you. It shows you. It teaches you and me that God is with us. That God is with you. And he will see you through. He will. I want you to stand up. Let's, let's pray together. Let's pray to the God who sees us through. Our God, you are the Emmanuel. You are the one with us. You are the one who came to live with us. You're the one who came to teach us. And you're the one who died for us. And Jesus, you are the one who rose victoriously for us. May we not forget your sacrifice. May we not forget who you are. May we not ever neglect to know that you are here with us now. And God, the majesty of it all, you, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word at creation, by whom all things were made, apart from whom nothing was made that has been made in Jesus. You, choosing to enter this world by any means possible, even imaginable, Jesus, you chose a pregnant unmarried teenage girl. You chose messiness and complication because God, you don't run away from the messes that are each one of us. You're running toward us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.